Okay, friends, we're back in Kings. We're going to look at the life of Jehoash, and I'm going to tell you something. This isn't the most exciting chapter for me, and it's really interesting. A lot of it just has to do with, like, the handling of money in the temple, which is interesting, and I think that, you know, the testimony is that they're faithful with it, and that's a good sign. Another thing that kind of makes me curious about this is that Jehoash actually ends up getting a better report than he does in Chronicles. Um, if you've ever done a comparison or heard about comparisons between Kings and Chronicles, Kings tends to tell the worst side of the Kings. As I understand the book, they're trying to explain why the exile happened, and so they repeatedly report the bad stuff that Kings do as a way of explaining what God did in destroying the northern kingdom and exiling the southern kingdom. But in this case, I wouldn't compare Second Chronicles to this story. And there's some stuff in Second Chronicles that Joash did which doesn't show up in here, which is bad stuff and kind of explains some of the bad stuff that happened to him later on in his life. So very curious, but God knows what he's doing. And, you know, it's a good reminder that the authors um, who are prophets who write these things, their material is human history and they will actually use texts sometimes and they can be selective. They can choose to share some things and choose to sh share not share other things because they're trying to communicate and if you say everything you're not communicating well. Communication involves choosing what to say and deciding how to say it. And so, uh, but God blesses us with these double perspectives on a lot of events. You've got four perspectives in the Gospels. You've got multiple perspectives in Old Testament, the same story being told through different lenses. And by seeing these things through the double perspectives, you actually get a better understanding of what happened, as well as being able to hear more clearly which each what each author is trying to communicate. So anyhow, let's get going. Chapter 12, in the seventh year of Jehu, that's the king of the northern uh, kingdom, obviously, who's just kind of earned himself a bit of a dynasty through destroying Jezebel. Jehoash began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. Now, that's not the same name as the person who rescued Jehoash from death. Remember, Athaliah was killing the king's sons, and he was rescued by um, one of the king's daughters, so I guess probably like an aunt or something like that. But we didn't actually meet his mother's name, Zabiah of Beersheba, until now. And Jehoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days, because Jehoiada the priest instructed him. So um, this is a good report. It's not a bad one. And But then you get the nevertheless. Verse 3, Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. The people continued to sacrifice and make offerings on the high places. And these high places were like a thorn in the flesh of these countries that or the nations that had them, the northern kingdom as well as the southern. Remember, this whole book starts with the creation, the, the construction of the temple, the one place where God's name is under Solomon. And so these high places, which were competing locations for worship, even if, you know, people went there to worship the Lord, um, they weren't good things because they weren't the one true place in the temple, and they often would have idols there that were... Uh, it was mixed worship at best, but often just idolatry. Verse 4. Jehoash said to the priests, All the money of the holy things that is brought into the house of the Lord, the money for which each man is assessed, the money from the assessment of persons, and the money that a man's heart prompts him to bring to the house of the Lord, let the priests take 
each from his donor and let them repair the house wherever any need of repair is discovered. So this is a good thing. We're being introduced to Jehoash and he wants to repair and maintain the temple that Solomon built. So you, you're drawing a bit of a line here. He's got a similar heart to David who wanted to build the temple, similar heart to good Solomon who did build the temple. And here's Jehoash who wants to restore the temple. And of course he's being tutored by the priest Jehoiada um, through all of this. But by the 23rd year of King Jehoash, remember he started to reign at seven, so he's 30 now, Back to scripture, the priest had made no repair on the house. Therefore, King Jehoash summoned Jehoiada the priest, either the priest, and said to them, Why are you not repairing the house? Now, therefore, take no more money from your donors and hand it over to the, for the repair of the house. So the priests agreed that they would, should take no more money from the people and that sh they should not repair the house. So it looks like there was just a bit of a administrative traffic jam there. The priests were bit busy being priests, but they're not good repairers or organization of repairs. So the king is going to organize it or someone else is going to organize it and allow the priests just to go back to their priesthooding. Verse 9. Then Jehoiada the priest took a chest and bored a hole in the lid of it and set it aside beside the altar on the right side as one entered the house of the Lord. And the priests who guarded the threshold put in it all the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. And whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest, the king's secretary and the high priest came up and they begged and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. Then they would give the money that, that was weighed out into the hands of the workmen who had oversight of the house of the Lord. And they paid it out to the carpenters and the builders who worked in the house of the Lord. And to the masons and the stonecutters as well as to the, buy timber and quarried stone for making repairs of the house of the Lord for and for any outlay for the repairs of the house. But the, there was not made for the house of the Lord basins of silver, snuffers, bowls, trumpets, any vessels of gold or of silver from the money that was brought in the house of the Lord. For that was given to the workmen who were repairing the house of the Lord with it. They did not ask for an accounting from the men in whose hands they delivered the money to pay out to the workmen, for they dealt honestly. And the money was from the guilt off money from the guilt offering and money from the sin offering was not brought into the house of the Lord, it belonged to the priests. Okay, so you may have noticed as I was reading that, that the main refrain in this section is the house of the Lord. And it's not exciting work, but it is faithful work. So they do collect money in this big chest when people want to give it. And when the chest gets full, they have someone from the king's house and someone from the house of the Lord come together and count it and then hand it over to the workers who can do it. And so you have kind of a picture of the people of God coming together. The workers who are like the from the people, the priests who are from the priesthood, and the king's uh, accountant who's from the royalty. They're all working together, um, serving the upkeep of the house of the Lord. And I think this is a good thing. I think this is a good story. And especially when it says, you know, they didn't require an accounting from the workmen for they dealt honestly. That is a little sign that this is a good time in Israel when the workers can be trusted with money so that they don't need to be uh, hovered over. That is a sign of good hearts and good hearts come from good worship and good worship comes from leadership and the, uh, the Lord all coming together. So this is a good paragraph. This is a good sign as far as I can see here. But it's interesting that a lot of it just has to do with the handling of money. Uh, and the counter side of that is true, I'm sure, that the mishandling of money is a sign of the mishandling of the faith, and the mishandling of the faith is a sign of being in rebellion or disconnect from God. 
but we start off with this good story of the upkeep of the temple handling well, and now we're going to hear some less good stuff. Verse 17, At that time, Hazael king of Syria went up and fought against Gath and took it. When Hazael set his face to go up against Jerusalem, Jehoash king of Judah took all the sacred gifts that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah his fathers, the kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred gifts, and all the gold that was found in the churches of the house of the Lord, and of the king's house, and sent these to Hazael king of Syria. Then Hazael went away from Jerusalem. This is a really interesting story. Remember, Hazael was actually anointed by, uh, uh, oh goodness, why is his name escaping me right now? We've just been talking about him. One of the prophets, right? Um, I'm going to find his name. This has been happening to me too much. Name dropping. Elisha. Golly. Save me now, Jesus. Um, Elisha anointed Hazael, and now he's coming to war against the king. So that's not a great sign for him. Um, but God gives him kind of a victory. And Jehoash... Um, when you compare him to other kings, this giving away of the sacred gifts, so he's essentially looting God's bank account because these sacred gifts were given to God to be his possession. And when kings go in and take it from God, they're essentially stealing from him to save their own hide. So we don't have a story here of him praying. He doesn't seek a prophetic word. Um, he doesn't kind of hold out against the army or go to war, he just kind of gives away God's gifts. And so this is not a good thing. This is not an act of faith. Um, it's a bribe, which is a fleshly way of dealing with foreign kings. And verse 19, Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? His servants arose and made a conspiracy and struck down Joash in the house of the Millo on the way that goes down to Silla. It was Josachar, the son of Shimeath, and Jehozabad, the son of Shomer, his servants, who struck him down, so that he died. And they buried him with his fathers in the city of David, and Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. So, that little line, the rest of the Acts of Joash, written in the book of Chronicles, th th it's good that they're doing that, right? So that tells you that it's they're being particular and specific in what they quote. But other things that are attributed to Joash is that when Jehoiada died, he began to uh, lose a bit of faith in the Lord. And jo Jehoiada's son confronted him as a prophet full of the Holy Spirit, and Joash en ended up having him killed. And part of why Joash um, is killed by his servants, as reported here, is that God punished him with um, military defeat, and he was wounded, and the, the killing of the servants is connected with what Jeho Joash did to Jehoiada's son in murdering him for, for correcting him. And so that's a big deal. Uh, but it's only reported in that book, and so um, it's kind of left to us to maybe say why or why not. But obviously this king wanted, or this author wanted to remember Joash for his uh, loyalty to the temple and still show his, like, poor, his poor, he ended poorly, you know, being murdered by your servants. It almost reminds us of Hazael a bit. Remember, Hazael killed his his master in order to take over the throne. Um, and his military defeats and his unbelief later in life, we see that here. But So it's a mixed reign, but with many years of good, and that's what's meant to be remembered in this story. And we're going to go and deal with other kings in the next chapter.